You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with the happy ending to a very close call for two young children lost in minus 18 degree weather. The pair, just five and seven years old, were at a New Year's Eve event in Vernon when they wandered off to look for marshmallow roasting sticks. John Hua has more on the rescue effort and how they were eventually found. It was a major search and rescue operation that all started with a hankering for roasted marshmallows. They had apparently gone out um, looking for some sticks to roast marshmallows on for a little fire or campfire they had going in the backyard. When the two boys, only five and seven years old, didn't return home after 45 minutes, Vernon Search and Rescue, along with firefighters and police, received the New Year's Eve call. We uh, scrambled our team. We had about 22 members, I think, responded. As soon as there's children involved, we get everybody out. With daylight fading, the temperature dipping to minus 18 degrees Celsius, a coordinated effort was initiated to cover as much ground as possible. Nearly three hours after the boys went missing, a whistle out into the woods paid off. So they stopped and whistled and yelled their names, and lo and behold, one of the kids answered back. Extremely lucky. I, I think another hour, we would have been too late. It's reported the boys had gotten lost trying to follow a deer, ending up 100 feet off the trail in a gully surrounded by chest-deep snow. One of them had even taken off their boots. Despite being hypothermic, the boys were now safe and sound. That was our 87th call for the year, and to end it on a, a high note like that, where we literally saved the lives of two young people, is pretty awesome. A search and rescue suggested New Year's resolution teach children when lost to stay put and hug a tree. So SAR teams can have an equally good start to 2018. John Hua, Global News. And a sad update to a story that initially looked like an amazing rescue for another B.C. family. Vernon residents are remembering Caroline Koenig, who passed away December 22nd. Global viewers may remember Koenig as the woman who was rescued after her vehicle went over an embankment in Vernon last month. Her husband suspected something was wrong when she didn't come home, and he went out to find her. He spotted her SUV down the embankment and called for help. She passed away unexpectedly as a result of complications related to the accident. A dangerous situation in Vancouver. This was the scene at Canby near King Edward late this afternoon. A crane working on a new construction project came into contact with the line, knocking out power to several hundred customers in the area. The operator had to wait until hydro crews arrived to ground the line before he could get out of the cab. Thankfully, he was not injured. Changes to mortgage rules mean buying a home in Metro Vancouver is about to get even tougher for first-time buyers. The new rules are aimed at ensuring borrowers can afford a potential rate hike. Aaron MacArthur explains what the changes are and how it could affect your buying power. Whether you're trying to buy a shoebox in the sky or a Vancouver special, getting a mortgage is going to be harder this year. A stress test has now been applied to every home loan in the country. What people can qualify for now, considerably less than just last week. The end result? People are going to have to rethink their purchase. The majority of people getting into the market this year was first-time homebuyers. First-time homebuyers have already been subject to the stress test. So it was people who were actually moving up the property ladder or people who are renewing an existing mortgage who are actually going to feel these changes more than the first-time homebuyer. The new rules 
according to the government, are in place to protect us from climbing interest rates. A family who could have qualified for $700,000 in 2017 may only be approved for just more than half a million today. The key to this equation will be home prices. If they slide, then everyone should be better off. If it has the desired effect, which is to lower the prices, then that'll help a lot of the people that were not able to get in. But if it doesn't, then the ones that are, say, first-time home buyers or that young family that maybe just had their first or second kid that need to get out of strata and then into those detached homes are going to have a lot of difficulty doing that. There have been plenty of measures designed to deflate the real estate market. Foreign buyers tax, empty homes tax. So far, nothing has worked. And it might be several months before the results of this latest experiment is felt. We've got a very highly valued property market. It would not be at all out of the question that we could see a significant correction. That said, we've all been calling for a correction for a long time. Whether first-time buyers or people looking to refinance, the new rules will make the whole ordeal a great deal more stressful. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And a reminder for Vancouverites, empty homes tax declarations are due exactly one month from today. Homeowners have to declare the status of their properties by February 2nd or face a $250 penalty. Properties deemed empty will be subject to a tax of 1% of the property's assessed taxable value. And anyone who lies and says their property is occupied when it's not could be hit with a $10,000 penalty. B.C. property assessments are out, and for some, the changes will be dramatic. And while you may have guessed the condo market is seeing gains, the average increase varies widely by property type and location. Ted Chernecki breaks down the numbers. Going to Vancouver, you can see that uh, overall... Mapping B.C.'s real estate market is never an easy task as sales rise and fall throughout the year. But every July 1st, the B.C. Assessment Authority draws a line and publishes in January what the market was doing six months ago. And what it was doing was very little when it came to the single-family home. There have been very little increases in value, and in some cases, prices have fallen. The single-family market, a little softer, so very nominal changes in Vancouver, Richmond, Burnaby, North Shore. When you start moving away from the core area of Vancouver, so out to the Fraser Valley and over to the island, 10 to 20% increases still. But like those ubiquitous new condo towers going up, so too are condo prices in all parts of the Lower Mainland and especially in outlying regions. If you look at the city of Richmond, uh, the single-family market has really not changed at all. And you move into the townhouses, and they're up about 15%. And then you go into the condominiums, and it's closer to 35%. Commercial property is way up as well, especially in some pockets of Vancouver that have recently been rezoned for condo towers. The white spot on Georgia Street last week, for example, sold for $245 million, largely for the air above it. Now, small businesses along Denman and Davie are facing huge property tax increases for the same reason. Which basically becomes unsustainable. Just, and even if you own the property, if you're a, let's say you're a hotel, you happen to own the, the real estate, you just don't have the cash flow to be able to manage a, a massive increase in property tax. $78.8 million. That would be for Lululemon's Chip Wilson's home on Point Grey Road. But even that price won't necessarily translate into a property tax increase. Increase in your assessment doesn't necessarily translate to an increase in your property taxes. What's more important is how your assessment changes compared to others in the community. None of this bodes well for housing affordability.
Ted Trinucky, Global News. And our Keith Baldry joins us now with insight into declining government revenue, mm. Keith, from property transfer taxes. What kind of uh, figures are we looking at? Well, we're still looking at pretty high figures, uh, Sophie, but the numbers are declining. So every time a, a property changes hands uh, in terms of purchases, uh, the government makes money, a lot of money. Uh, how much is, uh, to take a look at these numbers, and they are going down over years. So last year, $2 billion was the amount of money the B.C. government collected from property transfer revenues. That's about one-ninth of the entire uh, health care budget, a huge amount of money. But this year is expected to decline to $1.87 million. Not much of a decline, but still you can see that where the trend is going. Next year, $1.7 $7 billion anticipated to be collected. And then in 2019-2020, billion. Uh, to put that in perspective, that's a $400 million drop over that time. That's a lot of money. Could fund a lot of government services and programs. So with other measures about to come in, such as a speculation tax, these numbers are expected to be even lower when the budget is tabled in February, when the NDP's Finance Minister, Carol James, presents the first NDP budget. Again, property transfer, big money, cash revenue for the government, but it's not as big as it used to be. All right, Keith, thank you. On the topic of money, here's some food for thought. Before noon today, Canada's top-paid CEOs managed to make what the average Canadian makes all year. Here's how it breaks down according to research by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. The average Canadian makes about $49,700 a year. The average salary of Canada's top CEOs is $10.4 million. So that means by about 11 a.m. today... They made what the average Canadian makes. And here's another way to look at it. They make about 209 times more than the average. A dangerous call for firefighters in Vancouver early this morning. And they were responding to a fire at a vacant building along East Hastings when a suspected drunk driver plowed through the scene, seriously injuring one of the crew. Linda Aylesworth explains how it all unfolded and what punishment the driver is facing. A first responder's job is innately dangerous. Take, for example, the abandoned building fire on the downtown east side early this morning. We were previously inside it. We do know that it's a very dangerous building at this time. But while firefighters train for every possible scenario, sometimes things happen that simply can't be anticipated. We had uh, what I understand was an impaired driver that's uh, moved their way through the emergency scene, driving over the fire hose and uh, getting the coupling or the connection hung up underneath the motor vehicle. The vehicle operator, a man in his 50s, continued to drive, dragging the heavy hose for a full block, sweeping the legs out from under one of the firefighters along the way. And the firefighter was left there uh, knocked to the ground, uh, left motionless with uh, extensive lower body injuries. There might easily have been more injuries had the hose been charged or filled with pressurized water, something that was moments away from happening. If that five-inch supply line would have been charged, it could have been even much more dangerous because we wouldn't have been able to control that water. Driving over a fire hose is not only reckless, it's illegal, as is drinking and driving, obviously. Even when you blow at the low end of impairment, as the driver involved did. It's actually issued with a three-day driving prohibition uh, related to alcohol impairment, but he's also issued with a, uh, a violation ticket under the Motor Vehicle Act for driving over a fire hose. The fine? $81. This is a good educational opportunity for all drivers out there. When you come across an emergency scene or you see in the flashing lights, slow down, proceed with caution or as direction. As for the injured Vancouver firefighter who's been on the job for just a year and a half, he was released from hospital but still might have to undergo surgery on his leg. He's going to be off work for an extended period of time while he rehabilitates and gets himself back to work. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. 
A handful of outages remain in the Fraser Valley tonight after a pair of back-to-back -back ice storms knocked out power to tens of thousands of people for days. Our Nadia Stewart is in mission tonight with more on how this emergency was handled, Nadia, and the lessons we can learn from it. Yeah, that's right, Chris. Everyone I've spoken with today is happy just to have the power restored after days of being off the grid. But officials say this whole ordeal should serve as a reminder for why people need to be prepared. Brian Roberts and his family are stocking up on salt. The last few days feeling more like a winter camping trip than a Christmas break. We just brought out all the camping gears. We had lots of lanterns and lights and brought out the propane uh, camping stove, so we're still able to make hot food. And while he was ready for anything, he says that wasn't the case for everyone. Uh, a lot of people are still caught unaware. They just expect the city to take care of everything for them. Caught off guard when trees came down on power lines, something this arborist says homeowners can actually try to prevent. You can't prepare for every single possible thing that can happen with a tree, but there's definitely some maintenance that you can do. This wicked winter weather knocking thousands of customers off the grid, some for as many as four days. In Mission, a warming center had to be opened, while many relied on generators to get them through. Some of the people uh, maybe haven't lived out here as long, they wouldn't know how bad it can be out here. I thought last winter was bad. This winter is 10 times worse. All the more reason why people need to be prepared for any kind of emergency. That's the message from officials across the Fraser Valley and Metro Vancouver, who say those without a plan could be putting themselves and their families at risk. It's kind of like insurance. You buy it on a yearly basis, hoping you never have to access it. This is just another example of not to be complacent, that if we want to be prepared, we need to look after ourselves. If nothing more, do it for your children, not yourself. Now, two quick tips for preparedness. You're going to want to have your family, a, a plan for your family for at least a week in case there's no power or you're going to have to be off the grid. A second tip about safety. As the temperature warms up, we're going to start to see more of that ice falling off of trees, awnings, building. Earlier today, we uh, confirmed with police that some ice built up on, an ice uh, on a light standard on the Mission Bridge fell down and hit a car below. Now, no one was seriously hurt, uh, but certainly something to keep in mind as these temperatures are warming up. Watch out for what's coming down from above. Back to you, Chris. All right. Thanks, Nadia. A Surrey man has unraveled a cross-border mystery. It began with the discovery of a plaque in a Fort Langley antique store, which belonged to a school that once existed in Texas. Tanya Beja has more on its historical significance and how the piece was reunited with its rightful owners. It was just, I think it was bolted to this wall here. Randy Fennell was shopping for antiques in Fort Langley when a metal plaque with the names of school trustees caught his eye. I work with the Surrey School District, so my first uh, thought was, this is, does not belong here. And to find out that something that had, uh, came from a school that was a segregation school, something that was uh, part of a dark history, just totally blew my mind. And it's something that made me really realize this has to go home. So he sent the plaque back to Texas where it was unveiled for Doty alumni more than five decades after the school closed. I believe that God has a hand in many things, that the people who found it, he touched their hearts to realize that, hey, this is a little more than just scrap junk. The piece of history now showcased at McKinney High School. Our children need to know their heritage. Even though your circumstances may not be like someone else's, you can still progress and be successful. But one question still remains. How 
did that plaque get all the way to Canada? I am sure it has a story of its own. I would love to know what it is, but unfortunately, probably never will know. Tandy Beja, Global News. But first, a rug company that stepped up to help teachers in Greater Victoria keep their classroom carpets clean underestimated the size of their offer. Love a rug is overwhelmed by the response. Nitu Garcha explains why the need is so great and what the company is doing to have the carpets ready in time for when schools start up again. One by one, the rugs are rinsed. This Victoria company stepping up in a big way, cleaning carpets for free after hearing a grievance was filed over custodian cutbacks last fall. Custodians had been instructed not to vacuum the rugs. We couldn't believe it because rugs are dirty, filthy things that need to be emptied every single day of the dirt and filth. Love a rug owner Stephen Roberts says he was expecting a few dozen rugs but ended up with more than 400. We've literally had truckloads of rugs being delivered to us to be to be clean and we were so surprised how many were coming in. At first we were going we, we thought maybe we better lock the doors and we thought no 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 this is for the kids we're doing this for the kids it's for nobody else for the kids. Staff worked through the holidays and are still cleaning to get them ready in time for the first day back at school. We actually have had to put on two rug washing teams working back to back for up to 16 hours a day to get this done. And we're finally starting to see the end of it. But the Greater Victoria Teachers Union is upset, calling out the school district for sending an email encouraging schools to take up the offer. The school district is a huge multi-million dollar uh, organization. And to take advantage of a small company like this that was generously offering to do uh, kindness to some teachers who may be able to drop their carpets off, it's it's astounding. In a statement, the Greater Victoria School District said it's grateful for Love a Rugs initiative, adding area rugs were eliminated from classrooms about two decades ago, but have resurfaced, often being supplied by teachers. Further review of cleaning practices is underway. Dear Love a Rug, thank you for cleaning our carpet from Chloe. As piles of thank you cards from students pour in, Roberts has no regrets. This is what makes it worthwhile, you know, making the kids happy. Need to Garcha, Global News. Victoria. 2017 really ended with a bang for one Toronto woman. The sunroof on her Jeep Cherokee shattered without warning. Sean O'Shea has more on how the exploding sunroof is not an isolated incident and what the manufacturer is doing in response. Frightening. Oh, it's terrifying. When you experience the sunroof exploding, it is so loud. Amy Roy describing what happened to her on Boxing Day. I was driving down the highway on the 401 just passing Yorkdale Mall with my husband and with my two dogs. Just after we passed Yorkdale Mall, the sunroof exploded. It sounded like a shotgun. The sunroof in her 2016 Jeep Cherokee shattered without warning. What did you think of the moment when this happened? I thought we got shot. I thought that somebody like either hit our car or shot a gun at our car because that's how loud it was. Amy and her family were not hurt. The glass blew out of the car, not in. Possibly because she just pulled the cover under the glass to keep heat in the car. If I hadn't closed the windscreen, glass would have been all over us. Amy's complaint isn't unique. Huge explosion in the car. The whole roof just came shattering down. Global News has reported on many cases involving several models of vehicles with the same problem. Huge, loud bang. As glass roofs become larger, they're more susceptible to breaking. Transport Canada recorded more than 100 cases of exploding sunroofs last year. More than 350 since 2000 when it started keeping data on the problem. If you had small children in the back seat, 
uh, I could see it being a real, a real safety issue. Thank God I don't have a child. If there was a baby in the back seat and that windshield wasn't closed, there would have been glass all over them. Amy's okay, but it's an expensive fix. Three to four thousand dollars. Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, which makes the Jeep, has not agreed to pay the repair. The company told us glass breakage is not covered under warranty unless there is positive evidence of improper factory installation or a glass defect. Hard for a consumer to prove. She's had to rent a vehicle at her own expense, and she might have to file an insurance claim for damage with a $1,000 deductible, even though she wasn't technically in an accident. Did you expect Jeep to do the right thing and fix this? I thought for sure Jeep would do the right thing, but Jeep Canada just keeps telling us that they can't prove how this happened. This shouldn't be happening. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. A Canadian man held captive in Afghanistan and Pakistan for five years with his wife is facing 15 criminal charges. Joshua Boyle is accused of sexual assault, unlawful confinement, and uttering threats. The offenses allegedly occurred in Ottawa after Boyle, his American wife, and their three children were rescued last October. In a statement to the Toronto Star, Boyle's wife, Caitlin, says, quote, Obviously, he is responsible for his own actions, and it is with compassion and forgiveness that I say I hope help and healing can be found for him. Boyle's lawyer says he looks forward to defending his client against the charges. Well, the U.S. is in the grips of a deadly deep freeze with more than 200 million people suffering in temperatures far below normal. The snow and ice have made many roads too treacherous for travel, and it's not over yet. Tonight, 19 degrees and snowing in Buffalo. Look at that. A massive pileup is snarling Interstate 90. A foreboding look at what's to come with a major snowstorm set to move up the East Coast. Look at that truck. Much of the country already sits under the grip of a brutal deep freeze, contributing to at least 15 deaths. In Chicago, the fourth day in a row of below zero temperatures. It's biting in the face, it's just cold. There's no way around it. I don't think you can really prepare. More than half the U.S. population, 200 million Americans, saw temperatures below freezing today. From the north at Niagara Falls, down south to Savannah. 23 people were hurt in Bronx, New York, including a firefighter, as they battled against the elements, fire and ice, hoses, helmets and ladders frozen. Frozen pipes, a common sight in the Midwest. This Illinois house caught fire when the homeowner tried to thaw the pipes with a blowtorch. I would not recommend a homeowner trying a torch. I would not recommend that. This is for professional use only. Check out this close call near Dallas when a police officer slipped and fell on an icy highway as a car nearly slid into him. It's not all bad. The crisp, clear air should make for ideal viewing of tonight's supermoon. Ice fishermen are happily dropping their lines. But Amber Martin isn't looking for silver linings. I couldn't even tell you how many inches thick of ice that it has on it. She's looking for a way out. Well, the new year bringing a new gold rush of sorts to California. Lineups, city blocks long, kicking off the legal sale of recreational marijuana. Hundreds of new businesses are cropping up and looking to cash in on what researchers project will be $5 billion in pot sales in 2018. California is now the world's largest market for legal recreational pot. And farmers are refurbishing greenhouses to grow cannabis and produce it on a mass scale. 
Outrage is growing tonight over a shocking video posted online by a YouTube star. Logan Paul is now apologizing after sharing horrific images with his 15 million followers, many of them children. Images we won't show you on the NewsHour. The incident raising new questions, though, about Internet safety. With more than 15 million followers, most of them millennials and younger, YouTube star Logan Paul is known for making daily video blogs that detail his life. Let's jump out of a plane and hopefully not die. Clips that are often funny and high energy. But Paul's latest video is a low-key apology. I've made a severe and continuous lapse in my judgment. Paul is facing a strong backlash for a video of him and friends walking through a Japanese forest, a place known as a destination for suicides. You think that's real? The video, viewed by millions before it was deleted, showed a body hanging, an apparent suicide victim. I should have never posted the video. I should have put the cameras down. Forbes ranked Paul fourth on its list of highest paid YouTube stars, saying he made $12.5 million in a year. Often some worry these online stars are looking to push the envelope. Because there's so much competition for that ad money and for the clicks, they're going out of their way to shock the viewer. In his written apology, Paul says, I didn't do it for views. I get views. I did it because I thought I could make a positive ripple on the Internet. Well, you never, you never stand next to a dead guy. But mental health experts say showing a dead body doesn't raise awareness about suicide. If somebody sees a harmful image, it can negatively impact the distress that they're already experiencing. YouTube says Paul's video did violate its policies. In the wake of this, suicide prevention groups hope people will realize they can reach out for help. Joe Fryer, NBC News. Hoda Kotb has been named the new permanent co-host of NBC's Today Show. This has to be the most popular decision NBC News has ever made. The announcement made this morning. The 53-year-old Cotby has been a regular fill-in anchor on the show. She joins Savannah Guthrie in the anchor chair. Hoda taking over for Matt Lauer, who was fired in December following allegations of sexual misconduct from as many as eight women. And a group of women in Hollywood are taking a stand against sexual harassment with a new campaign called Time's Up. America Ferreira, Eva Longoria and Reese Witherspoon are backing the initiative to help women fight workplace harassment. The plan includes a legal defense fund and legal and legislation rather to penalize companies that tolerate systemic sexual abuse. The group is also calling for women attending this Sunday's Golden Globes to wear black in a show of solidarity. In Health Matters tonight, women in our province will soon have access to the abortion pill. British Columbia announcing today that it will join five other provinces in paying for the pill known as RU486. The alternative to surgical abortion can be used to terminate pregnancies at up to nine weeks. Last April, the Common Drug Review recommended the abortion pill for the public. Free universal coverage will start January 15th. The drug currently costs about $300. Pharmacists will be able to dispense it to patients with a valid prescription. New Brunswick, Alberta, Ontario, Quebec and Nova Scotia have already approved the pill. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Recognize that Canadian city in the background? Taking advantage of the cold and skating circles around some breathtaking views coming up right after the weather forecast. Got some moves. He does, yeah. Nice. I gotta say, you usually can't skate on Lake Ontario. That's no. really something else. Very rare. All right, oh, Kasia Badurka is in for Christy Gordon tonight, and uh, another chilly but lovely day.
Yeah, and the fog patches, I mean, we've been seeing it persistently through the day, especially around low-lying areas and closer to the water. And more fog patches will be developing through the evening and the overnight, but they will dissipate far better than they did today because we have sun in the forecast. Uh, right now, we're sitting at about 2 degrees. We're not expecting temperatures to drop too much. So basically, what you see is what you get. Current temperatures across the province, yes, chilly, but nowhere near as cold as it has been. Kamloops, you're at minus 10. You're not going to get much too much cooler through the evening and the overnight, though Fort St. John enjoying your balmy three degrees. Yes, three degrees, whereas just a couple days ago it was minus 30. Uh, you're going to be going down to about minus 12 through the uh, overnight hours. But really, nothing compared to what you were dealing with last week. On radar returns, we're seeing a few flurries through the Thompson and the Okanagan and just some light showers through central portions of the island. And that's going to be dissipating through the morning uh, hours. This is the next one that we're watching. So it is making its way to Alaska, but it is clipping the north coast, bringing us some light showers there. Have a look at how this is playing out. So light showers. Through the evening and the overnight, still some light flurries also through interior portions for some time. And it's not until your Thursday late day that we're going to be seeing some showers. At this point, it looks like it's going to be a late day story for us along the south coast. Light showers and then Friday is going to be the rain. Uh, meanwhile, to the north, we look at, uh, we're looking towards a relatively settled day. Just some light flurries for places like Dees Lake, Fort St. John at 1. Prince George, hang on. Your warm-up is coming up Thursday into your Friday. And then just some light showers along the coast early day. To the extreme southeast, seeing some light flurries for the morning hours. That's going to be dissipating as well. Clearing, a clearing trend for all of us through the south. And the same thing goes for us along the coast. A beautiful day on top. A mix of sun and cloud. More sun than cloud, really. And temperatures where they should be with your five-day trend looking like this. So again, Thursday, a late-day story at this point. The showers and showers into your Friday. All right, we do have some very special birthdays to mention here. Gladys Rice, she turns 100 today. Gladys Rice of Powell River. Neil Willis uh, of Surrey, happy 100th birthday. And finally, a belated 100th birthday who turned, well, who turned 100, obviously, on January 1st, Dan Parker of Courtney. So all the best to you folks, you guys. And it's not 100, but happy birthday to my mom. Yes. Aww. Aww. That's very nice. We'll enjoy <laughs> dinner tonight, I'm sure. Okay, back to that amazing backdrop for a chilly winter skate. Well, if you had guessed Toronto, you were right. Despite the extreme cold snap that sent many Canadians indoors, Alex Sutherland couldn't help but take advantage of the wintry weather. While visiting his parents over the holidays, he made sure the ice was safe and then enjoyed this skate. He's quite talented video was filmed by Sutherland's cousin a few days before New Year's when temperatures dipped down to minus 22.5. He stressed he only took his coat off for the video. Yes, you know the internet would have called him out on it had yeah. he not clarified that. Some good moves. I wonder if he breaks any of those out during shinny. Okay. 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 Nice to see you. Nice to be seen. I always like saying that. Uh, but nice to see you and you. You look much warmer than you did the other night. No, no <laughs> A little chilly on New Year's <laughs> yeah. Eve, no doubt. Okay, so here we go. Uh, speaking of uh, 2017, that was the last night of it, of course. The best part of 2017 for the Vancouver Canucks was Brock Besser. In an era where it's so much tougher to score goals, Besser has been putting up numbers like he's playing in the 80s or 90s. He became the fastest Vancouver Canuck 
to reach 25 career goals. Faster than Bure. He only needed 44 games. He was the NHL's Rookie of the Month in November. Today, he was named Rookie of the Month for December, beating out, among others, the Islanders' Matthew Barzell. Uh, during December, he led all freshmen with 13 points in 13 games, 8 goals, 5 assists. If you want some more Besser math, he was in on 40% of all Canuck goals in December. He leads all rookies in the following. Points, goals, power play goals, power play points, and he scores at a ridiculous 21% of his shots. One of every five is going in. Okay. So Besser and the Canucks are playing tonight against Anaheim. Final home game for a while. After this, the Canucks go on a seven-game road trip. It'll start Saturday in Toronto. Now, this long road trip coming up really shouldn't be that scary to the Vancouver Canucks because they have been much better on the road than they have been at home. In fact, the Canucks have one of the worst home records in the league right now. It looks like Anders Nilsson's going to start in goal. Stop the puck, get in shape, stop the puck. And Chris Tanner will play as well. As for the Ducks, they'll have all your old Canuck favorites, bless you, uh, Ryan Miller, Ryan Kessler, and Kevin Bieksa, who says all the Ducks are quite aware of number six. The guy has 20 goals by this point. Obviously, you're aware of him, so he's not really flying under the radar anymore. Uh, I can't say I'm super familiar with his game. I notice uh, he's got a, one of those sweeping wrist shots. Not a lot of guys still shoot the puck like that. And you talk to Millsy, and he's got a little bit of a, a funny release, which allows him to beat a lot of goalies clean. So try not to give him too many chances tonight. Now, the Vancouver Canucks organization has twice passed on drafting a member of the Kachuk family. They didn't pick Keith in 1990. They should have. They might have won the Stanley Cup in the 90s if they did. And then they took Ole Olevi instead of Keith's boy Matthew in 2016. But if you think the Canucks have some sort of issue with the Kachuk family, Try Ryan Kessler. In his career, he has now had fights with both the father and son. Last week, he took on Matthew. And now a fight in center ice. Kachuk going at it with Kessler. Uh, he just asked me, and, uh, you know, obviously I, uh, I'm not going to back down from the kids, so um, uh, I accept it. Did you tell him he's not as tough as his dad? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not that quick-witted. I wish I would have. Here's Kessler and Kachuk. Kessler and Kachuk are going to fight nine seconds in. Did you realize that you get father and son? Yeah, yeah, someone told me that after the game, so uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. I guess you know you've been in the league a while when. <laughs> okay, so all of last month, the NHL had held an online vote for fans to pick the best uniforms of all time. And for whatever crazy reason... The Canucks flying Vs didn't get a lot of love. But the fashionistas have spoken, the top five have emerged, and it's rather kind of a retro list. Three of the top five teams actually don't even exist anymore. Here we go. The top five of all time. The old North Stars uniform. The old Quebec Nordiques uniform. That was great. The original Anaheim Ducks uniform. Mighty Ducks then. The Hartford Whalers got a lot of love. That's my vote. Is that your vote? And the Chicago Blackhawks, the ones they wear now, were the top team. They didn't release the votes, but they did release the top 25, and no Canuck uniform is in the top 25. I thought Montreal or the Rangers might get in the top five. Uh, Dominic Ducharme, Canada against Switzerland. Quarterfinal action, World Juniors. This is the game Canada pretty much knew it was going to win. They score in the first minute. Brett Howden gets that goal. Canada has never lost to the Swiss at the World Juniors, 22-0. Drake Batherson comes off the bench, 
Avoids uh, getting a too-many man. He just waited till the right moment. Jumps in the ice, gets the puck, makes it 4-0. And Dylan Dubé of the Kelowna Rockets puts one in as well. They all got in on the fun. 8-2. Canada plays the Czech Republic in the semis on Thursday. Uh, the Czechs were facing Oleo Levy and Finland. And the Finns really were the better team in this game. Oleo Levy, the Canucks draft pick, we mentioned him earlier, scores there. Nice. But the Czechs' netminder was outstanding. This game went to a shootout. And in the shootout, Yolevi had the last shot for Finland. He needs to score to keep it going. He does not. So the Finns are out. And the Czechs, thanks to uh, Kornash's 51 saves, are on to the next round, which, of course, is the final four. Sweden and Slovakia. Isaac Lundestrom. This is a nice play, actually, here by the Swedes. Tim Soderlin to Lundestrom, who had two goals in this game, 3-2 the final. They await the winner of the USA-Russia game. It's uh, in the third period. I think USA is now up 2-1. to one. Okay, Pete Carroll says he doesn't think veterans Cam Chancellor and Cliff Averill will be able to keep playing football because of serious neck injuries. They suffered those this past season. Now, that's just his opinion. Neither man has said anything yet about their futures. One thing Carroll is for sure, though, or is sure of, I should say, is the formula that is needed to bounce back after missing the playoffs. He says it's a formula most NFL teams have used to improve. I think you see tremendous examples around the league of teams that have turned their, their fortunes around, and they've turned it around in a formula that I think should sound familiar to you, about teams that run in the football, teams playing good defense and, and, and doing the kicking game thing. That's the formula that has proven historically the best in, in this game. We have been committed to that from the start, but unfortunately we have not been able to recapture it the way that, that, that we have in, in years past. There you go. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Andrew and Al for a look ahead to Global News at 11. And Thanks, Sophie. An urgent appeal from Vancouver Police tonight to find a missing senior. 75-year-old Satnam Lee Hall was last seen around 11 a.m. New Year's Day walking near Fraser Street and East 56th Avenue. Police say he appears older than this picture and walks with a cane. If you see him, you're asked to stay with him until help arrives. Plus, two days into 2018 and Metro Vancouver already has its first housing program protests of the new year. Tenants of a Vancouver apartment building say they feel like they are part of a renoviction. Why the landlord says there have been no evictions. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie, Chris. All right, looking forward to it. Thank you, Anne. It's pretty dry the last 24 hours, but healthy bases. Whistler Blackcomb, 186 centimeters. Grouse, 232. Cypress, 245. And the base at Sasquatch, 238 centimeters. Revelstoke, a base of 168. Manning Park, 130. And Powder King, 152. In the southern interior, Big White, a base of 166, Silver Star 111, Sun Peaks 121, and 141 centimeters on the ground at Apex. Well, there is a bargain available to anyone in the market for an old BC ferry. The decommissioned Queen of Burnaby is on the auction block with a top bid of only $35,000 right now. Mm -hmm. That might be a little rusty, <laughs> but that's pretty cheap considering the ship was sailing right up until last March. Jeff Hastings has more on the auction and the conditions of sale that the buyer is going to have to live with. Hey, buddy, want to buy a BC ferry? Well, now's your chance. The Queen of Burnaby is on the block. What do you think she's worth? 50000 maybe? You get that in the metal, right? Take her apart. And that's what the new owner will have to consider. She's not for sailing anymore. 
Built in 1965 in Victoria, she served the Powell River Comox route at a stately 16 and a half knots until May 2017. It was maintained well and it was safe right to the end, but there comes a point when the economics of it don't make sense to continue to try to maintain it. It just uh, makes more sense to sell it. Tuesday afternoon, the high bid was $35,000. Shipping is not provided. Pick up only during business hours, Monday to Friday. I'm sure somebody would find that a nice home to live in. Lots of rooms. I'd turn it into a houseboat, for sure. I'd live on it. I guess if you could park it somewhere and turn it into a hotel, a luxury hotel, that would be kind of cool. Welcome aboard the Queen of Burnaby. For sale, as is. The Queen of Burnaby is showing her age, leaking hydraulic oil. There's asbestos and a host of known environmental issues the new owner must convince BC Ferries they'll deal with. You have to be looking to get the vessel for recycling. Or, uh, or scrapping, or using it in some static form. Transforming a ferry isn't cheap, but the payoff could be significant. In North Vancouver, the celebration on water was once the queen of the islands. Coincidentally, it too is available. The great thing about this vessel is that most of the conversions have already been done, and it is recently listed for sale. Weddings, parties, corporate events, and movie shoots, the vessel is a long way from the southern Gulf Islands it once served. And the Queen of Burnaby could soon be a great distance from the D stocks. The auction ends Thursday afternoon. Jeff Hastings, Global News. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.